organic free-range HTML, wild freshwater CSS, and 21-day mature JavaScript. This is not just a podcast. This is Smashing. In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we're talking about HTML controls. Why are they so hard to style and how might that change in the future? We talk to Microsoft's Stephanie Stymack and Melanie Richards to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes brand new articles to the website throughout your working week? There's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help. It's your weekly update. Dynamic Static Typing in TypeScript, Stefan Baumgartner looks at some of the more advanced features of TypeScript, like union types, conditional types, template literal types, and generics, with the aim to formalize the most dynamic behavior of JavaScript in a way that we can catch most bugs before they happen. We talked to Stefan about TypeScript in episode 27 of this podcast, and this article makes great follow-on reading. Andy Bell looks at things you can do with CSS today, noting that the present and future of CSS are very bright. And if you take a pragmatic, progressive approach to your CSS, then things will continue to get better and better on your projects too. In this article, Andy looks into masonry layout, the is selector, the clamp function, CH and EX units, updated text decoration, and a few other useful CSS properties that you can use today. In how to port your web app to Microsoft Teams. Tomomi Emura and Daisy Shose note that on your list of places where people might access your web app, Microsoft Teams probably isn't on the list. But it turns out that making your app accessible where your users are already working has some profound benefits. This article looks at how Teams makes web apps a first-class citizen and how it enables you to interact with those apps in completely new ways. Eric Olive walks us through designing better tooltips for mobile user interfaces. Tooltips are a powerful design pattern implemented to enhance the design experience by providing additional information precisely when the user needs it. In this article, Eric shows you how to design tooltips that will amplify your mobile designs and explains where mobile tooltips are most effective. And Obed Palapiano looks at improving your team's communication in the age of remote work. Remote work is taking over the world, and the biggest obstacle remote teams face is emulating the natural communication that happens at the office. In this article, Obed shares his advice and tips to how to improve your team's communication and productivity by creating habits and processes focused on improving collaboration. And that is your weekly update. Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com slash articles. My first guest is a program manager for Microsoft Edge Developer Experiences, but prefers to think of herself as a designer, front-end developer, and developer advocate for Microsoft Edge. My second guest is also a program manager for Microsoft Edge, focused on the web platform. She too has a background in web design and front-end development. She loves designing and building fun things for the web, and is currently dabbling in 3D art. So we know that they're both experienced web developers working hard to move the web platform forward. But did you know, together they won the Kentucky Derby dressed as a pantomime horse. 
My smashing friends, please welcome Stephanie Stymack and Melanie Richards. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Melanie. How are you? I am smashing. I'm also simply smashing. (laughs) It's been probably about a year, um, Stephanie, since we last had you uh, on the podcast, and you have the um, dubious honour of being our first ever return guest. Um, At that point a year ago, Edge was transitioning over to a Chromium rendering engine, uh, Melanie, I'm guessing that that transition uh, had a you know was a big deal for for your team on, on web platform as well. How have things been over the last year? Has the transition been smooth and successful? Uh, I think so. Um, so I think yeah, when we talked last, we were just rolling out all our stable version across our some platforms, and now now we're on Linux as well. And there's been just so much like good reception from the developer community like people are excited to use edge so the reception has been really great and and i know for developer experiences we've been working on some fun stuff um that's coming up still soon but um it's been really good that's amazing i didn't realize that edge was also available on linux now because it's been on the mac for a while as well which is uh, great to be able to uh, run up edge on a mac i mean windows obviously being the the sort of dominant desktop operating system uh, the role as the the primary browser uh, on that platform is sort of fairly immense uh, and there's there's been a bit of a spotty history when it comes to um microsoft and its, its browsers i think we can be honest about that you know sometimes leading the way and then maybe stumbling for a little bit and getting left behind um but we all know as as developers the the pain that comes from such an important browser not being up to par so it's, it's great to see that now is a really first-class experience for users, but also for developers too with with Edge, with all sorts of development tools and, and a really first-class experience in that regard as well. Yeah, it's been wonderful wonderful for us on the team because uh, we've had like kind of a true opportunity to help push the web forward a little bit more. Um, you know, when we were kind of building on top of Edge HTML, there were some areas where we had to, you know, play catch up on, you know, certain APIs. Um, and now that we are collaborating and bringing new ideas into, you know, the Chromium code base and to standards, like it, it becomes a lot easier to say, okay, what's next? You know, how can we solve problems for developers and for our users? So um, it, it's kind of been a joy, like collaborating with folks um, across the different companies on this one. It, it feels very natural that uh, it should be a, a collaborative experience in that that's kind of what the web is designed to be, right? Absolutely. <laughs> So I wanted to uh, talk to you both today about HTML controls. Um, and that term itself, I guess, is wrapped up in in quite a bit of sort of platform specification jargon. Um, but what do we mean in practical terms when we're talking about HTML controls? Uh, and what are the sort of problems that designers and developers might encounter with them on an everyday project? Yeah, so primarily we're thinking about, uh, you know, form controls, uh, you know, that enable user input in some fashion. So, you know, you have your select, your radio, checkbox, buttons, um, you know, this extends also to, you know, the video player uh, controls as well. Um, so I think something that a lot of us have experienced, you know, as far as participants in this, you know, customizable controls effort, you know, have experienced personally is, you know, sort of wrestling um, with getting these controls to fit the brand and the user experience that we're going after uh, for our particular um, user base. So, you know, um, there's things that seem like they should be fairly trivial, like, like, you know, just getting the right colors in, you know, select options. 
and the fact that you have to just completely recreate a control, uh, you know, in order to to do that to align to your branding, uh, which which is something that a lot of projects you know require. Uh, you know, that is so challenging. Um, you know, I saw a tweet, you know, a couple months back when we were talking about this uh, with some other browser vendors. Uh, someone was saying, you know, oh, you want icons in your, you know, select options. You know, you have one problem. So you recreate the select. And now you have 37 problems. You know, there's so many things that you have to manage um, as, you know, a designer, developer, you know, getting the accessibility right. And there's like so many different dimensions of that, you know, like the semantics, the keyboard interactions, you know, high contrast, uh, you know, supporting, you know, different color schemes, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and, and we find that, you know, folks are just like recreating these, you know, all over the place, you know, several different frameworks, even within the same company, a lot of developer designer energy being put into this. And, you know, it's like, okay, what if we could just make it easier to use the things out of the box and build on top of those and not have to like recreate the wheel here? I think there was this sort of um, the concept with early implementation of form controls that they should uh, look like they're native to the operating system. Um, which you can kind of understand from a, a view of wanting consistency across the user experience for the whole of the the operating system. Um, but, you know, we've all used desktop apps, that are particularly like cross-platform ones that implement their own controls um, rather than using the native ones. And that experience can be really horrible. So you can, you can see where that thinking has come from. But I think it's sort of almost a false promise that they're, that it's a consistent experience because... The controls in a web page never really behaved in the same way as the controls in native applications and operating system. They never really functioned like native controls. So it was it was sort of a, a coat of paint, but not really providing uh, the same user experience, was it? Right. So yeah, so yeah, I've dived into the history of controls a little bit, and I think in the beginning they they did behave. Um, like native platform controls, because um, in the early days of the web, that's it was the underlying operating system that was sort of rendering those controls. Um, and then this idea that developers wanted more control over functionality and style. I, I was reading a blog post from I think 2001, and so like CSS was finally had finally just been um, standardized. Um, and was sort of embraced as like the main styling language, and and people were trying to to style controls and and just have more control over controls, um, and that that's that led to I think, and even today that's led to a huge sort of I think discrep discrepancy in the way that they function. Um, like Melanie said, you have people um, recreating form controls from scratch, and they they may not um, mimic native form controls and all their functionality. So you'll have a select that maybe behaves differently on one, one website than another one. So the experience can be um, pretty jarring. And I think even across different platforms too, we have controls like native controls that don't um, behave the same way. They behave differently on, on different platforms. So it does create sort of this interesting problem space for developers and and when you're thinking about user experience when when you think about all the things that run on the web platform you know sort of banking and healthcare services and emergency response governments e-commerce um you know global economies basically are, are running on top of of the web platform these days through various ways and means 
Um, and that's all built on top of a few HTML controls from 25 years ago, <laughs> pretty much. Um, they've been the same for decades and they're pretty terrible, really, aren't they? Um, you know, they're basic. Uh, but how, how did we get to this point where they, they got so left behind and nobody, nobody sort of touched them for so long? How, how have we got to the point on the web platform where the sort of the weakest link is, is our like input? controls. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a pretty big challenge, you know, uh, something that we think about quite a lot, um, you know, as browser vendors and as participants in standards is web compatibility. Um, so, you know, this comes up all the time. You're thinking about, oh, you know, should we make this change to CSS or, you know, should we should we tweak this a little bit? And, you know, maybe it makes a lot of logical sense for the way, you know, people are building today. It makes a lot of logical sense for developer ergonomics. But someone goes, oh, Hey, wait a second. Like, if we make that change, like, you know, these millions of sites are going <laughs> to blow up in unexpected ways. You know, uh, there's a, just an example on, you know, some of these uh, controls where, you know, people are applying, uh, you know, CSS styles that have no effect today. So if we said, okay, actually, we're going to, you know, allow this or that property on a certain control, now some of these sites are going to like do very funky things. Um, so I think because, you know, controls are involved in, you know, such mission critical flows, as you kind of pointed out, um, you know, people are a little bit nervous about, you know, changing something so fundamental to the web um, in a way that, you know, is backwards compatible and, and you know, won't break anything. Um, so we kind of have to think about the controls problem in an additive way. And, you know, like some of the other challenges here are that, you know, every browser has kind of implemented, you know, their controls under the hood in, in a different fashion, you know, so some are, you know, kind of doing something that's a little bit orthogonal to the operating system. Some are still leaning quite heavily on the operating system and, and that can change for the same browser and different platforms. Um, so you have to kind of take all those things into account. You know, I think it's like, it, it's a tough problem, but I, I am, you know, feeling the winds of change here, everybody recognizes like, okay, like we need to go and solve this problem. It's going to take a long time. It's going to be hard, but let's try, you know. To add on top of that too. So I've been sitting in on our um, meetings that with Melanie and and um, our the Open UI initiative that's sort of leading the standardization of controls. And I don't think people realize either, like Melanie said, it's a huge, like it's a huge undertaking. And uh, there are some meetings we have that get into such granular detail about the way a select uh, behaves just to a, a a level that even kind of blows my mind at, at how specific um, these problems are that we have to think about. Um, so it it is a huge undertaking. There was an effort, wasn't there, with HTML5 to improve things a little bit, and there were some uh, new uh, types for the input element, and there was sort of basic validation capability and the constraint validation API. Um, but it was kind of a, a subtle evolution and not a revolution. Was it, was it successful, do you think? You know, I think um, that effort did add, you know, some... Uh, necessary capabilities to the web platform. But I think, you know, there's there's some feeling, you know, about the type attribute, you know, like maybe we should go a different way in the future because um, that, that type attribute does a lot, you know. <laughs> you kind of inherit um, 
a lot of behaviors from like the base, you know, input class that, you know, maybe isn't applicable to that, you know, particular element. Um, you know, maybe maybe there's a different way to do this and, and have like more purpose built specific elements. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at. I, mean, I, I think of things like the way that um, a date input works currently with HTML5, um, or I say works, doesn't work maybe. Um, you have to uh, sort of just look at the fact that every single site is building custom calendar controls rather than using that native date picker um, because the date picker isn't, isn't serving their need. Uh, and you kind of have to conclude that some of these native methods have just completely failed. Right. And, you know, the date picker is like such an interesting one because, you know, I, I feel there's two buckets as to why people, you know, recreate those. You know, in some cases, it's like, yeah, I want it to basically function as a date picker does, but I really need it to, you know, be styled to match my own branding. And, you know, like that date picker control is doing a lot of work. There's like a lot of stuff going on in, in this, like one tiny little pop up world. Um, and then on the other side of the house, you have, you know, like airline websites, right, where they're like trying to to do something that's different that can't be supported by, you know, that they pick control where you're really looking at like a range that can like cross, you know, um, different months and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that one's a tricky one. There's a, there's a lot of different use cases packed into one control. <laughs> how, how can we uh, avoid sort of falling into that trap again in the future? Um, obviously, that that's an example of something that was too too complex. Obviously, very complex to implement because uh, some rendering engines didn't even try, um, and others that did try had had varying levels of success. How do we avoid falling into that trap in the future? Can we? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, so I think like some of the proposals that we've made around customizable controls, you know, are meant to offer folks, you know, a little bit more flexibility uh, with the inbuilt controls, uh, more control over them, if you will. Uh, so just to kind of like break down, you know, our, our basic proposal here, um, we imagine there's like a couple different uh, solutions um, for, you know, customizable controls. And the right solution sort of depends, you know, on the use case and the particular control and how complex it is really. Um, you know, so uh, the different kind of buckets are, we want to have, you know, some sort of standardized, um, you know, structure, uh, internal structure to the controls, um, you know, so like named parts, basically. And we can create like pseudo elements that can target, you know, the specific parts. Um, so, you know, Greg Whitworth over at Salesforce actually has, um, you know, a, a proposal that he's mulling over around a pseudo element for the uh, checkbox and radio indicators. Um, so looking forward to, you know, that kind of coming online um, in that bucket. Uh, then we are also looking at named slots. So let's say that, you know, you're a web developer, the base control like mostly works for you, but you just want to replace like one little piece of the control. Um, so maybe like the, the buttony part of a select, for example, uh, you can just like swap out that named slot. And then if you really want to go, you know, like, truly custom, you can actually like completely replace the uh, shadow DOM of the control with uh, the attached shadow method. Um, and so the idea here is that, you know, the developer would have control over, you know, the view of the, um, of the control, uh, you know, and they would still rely on, you know, the controller code coming from the web platform to kind of hook up, you know, things between the model, you know, so, you know, 
certain data points in, in the control and the view. Um, so they wouldn't have to kind of do that underlying uh, logic themselves. So uh, those, those are the kind of you know strategies that we have as far as you know being able to leverage what's already been done, um, but really customize it to your use case. So that's um, that's sort of getting around this problem that uh, a lot of controls are just kind of a, a black box, aren't they? That's inserted into the into the page, and you can't do anything much with it. Are, are, are they called replaced elements? Is that the right terminology? Yes. For, yes. So um, there's no way then with um, with CSS or, or with um, with JavaScript to actually target bits inside it. It's just a box, and you can't get into it. Um, so the idea here that you're describing is structuring controls so they're much more like something that we might build ourselves uh, with different levels of, of containers and items in it so that each of those individual bits can be targeted and then some of them might be named and so you could you could keep the basic control but swap out these slots so if you had like a a, a file upload that that uh, the file upload um, control you might be able to swap the button with a button of your own choosing, but keep the general functionality implemented by the web platform. Is that, have I, am I understanding that right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, we we want to make it easier to kind of like reach directly into that control and, and kind of uh, take the pieces you need and, and update the pieces that uh, you need as well. That, that sounds really exciting. Uh, to play devil's advocate, uh, as is my job sometimes, <laughs> um, do, do we really need HTML controls at all um you know think of the number of forms that are being submitted with javascript using the, the fetch api you know you can you can gather some data and make a post request or what have you and you can um take any any element and turn on content editable and have the user be able to you know type in some text or, or what have you do we do we need native form controls or should we just go rogue and build it all ourselves part of me that cares like a whole lot about accessibility is like ah <laughs> Hopefully that that screech doesn't sound too awful on the on the mic here. But um, you know, like I I think you know I'm a huge fan of the semantic web, right? Like and and having things that are truly built for their um, purpose. You know, there again, there's like a lot of things that you have to get right um, so that people who are you know using assistive technologies, for example, like really know what they're interacting with, and their assistive technologies like know how to like you know, um, input, you know, their actions um, and their data into that control as well. Um, and so, you know, clarity over the items that you're working with um, really decreases if you kind of just uh, throw a content editable on everything. And then, you know, there, there's like, I feel like JavaScript is eating the world and, and you know, here, here's where I start getting nervous about going into controversial territory, just say the word JavaScript <laughs> and, and, you know, People like what <laughs> pop out of the woodwork, but um, you know, like like people can disable JavaScript in in their you know uh, browsers, or you know, content can be kind of ingested into you know other environments. And so, you know, I still feel it's it's super important to you know work with HTML, work declaratively. You know, don't necessarily depend on JavaScript for everything. You know. Uh, provide like a pro progressively enhanced experience so i think when you when you look at the difference between uh how different controls are rendered on a on a desktop web page versus the experience in a mobile browser you think of something like a, a select um uh, a, a select control 
the the interface is completely different in a, on a mobile device, isn't it? It's not just whatever the developer has built with with divs and CSS uh, on the page. It, the the browser just completely takes that over and gives you a, a different experience uh, that's more that's more appropriate to the device in question. So I think that's definitely um, a, a sort of a glimpse into the predicament that those who are using um, assistive technologies face when <laughs> when they uh, come up against using things that are completely custom and not based on on real solid um, HTML elements. Right, and it, it's like, you know, it's tricky if you are a person who's like interacting with the same basic control from site to site, but you have to like relearn how to use that control because you know, this website decided to use arrow keys to traverse through these items. And this site decided to use, you know, like tab keys or the tab key. And it's like, come on, like <laughs> that, that's like such heavy, like cognitive overload for folks who are like just trying to go about their day, you know? Definitely. There's a, there's an awful lot to think about when you go rogue, isn't there? Um, in terms of accessibility, uh, keyboard use, um, focus all the, all these sorts of things that uh, really add an awful lot of code to something that could be quite simple and you could just put the right um the right elements in and get on with your day you know it, it it's a, a real frustration for us developers to try and style um style the form elements to to make them work in the way we want to um and i get the feeling that just about every designer and developer would want to have better native controls um is there is that something that you've seen in your own research to into the developer community stephanie so yeah we've actually seen that in the developer community so about a year and a half ago um greg whitworth who is at salesforce and leading the open ui initiative um ran a survey on twitter with about like 1400 respondents to sort of find out if this controls pain point was or i'm sorry i guess it's Two and a half years ago now. 2020 wow. was a blur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is time? Yeah. Um, so, and he he was trying to dive deep to see if this controls area was something that, you know, what platform team should go invest in. And w- the biggest reason for developers making their, their own controls or, or rebuilding them from scratch was because they couldn't change the appearance sufficiently. I think that was about like a third of developers. And then um, I think about another third said because of browser inconsistencies. And I think you can assume that that probably has to do with appearance also. So that's that's a lot of developer hours being spent rebuilding these things just to change the appearance. And um, so we, Greg sort of identified that, yes, this, this was a pain point. And um, being the PM that I am, I sort of wanted to find out how big of a pain point it was for developers. So I, I did my own sort of um, impromptu guerrilla research on Twitter and asked people, like, how painful is this for you? And I got about 250 responses to this tweet. And I had asked, like, what would you rather do than style a select menu? And Responses ranged from I would rather chew on glass or boil my toes in lava <laughs> than attempt to style a native select element to like I'd rather 
have to build the site and have it be compatible with IE6. So like this is a huge, huge pain point for developers. So that is, it's been a pretty consistent um, theme that developers aren't happy with what is, is there. So there's, there's been a bit of an effort um, from, uh, from the various browsers to um, sort of have a little bit of a design refresh lately of of some of the form controls and try and take some of the opinion out of the out of the design you know we had lots of sort of gradients and and things going on didn't we and all sorts which i guess is a, a primary reason for people wanting to style them in the first place to try and get a bit of a more neutral look that doesn't clash uh, at least with with their site's design um was was that something that um that uh, Edge was involved in. I know that it, it happened uh, in Chrome. Was it, was it driven by Chromium or was that just Chrome doing it? Or how has that worked? I think that's like actually a prime example of some of the you know cross-company collaboration we've been able to do uh, since moving to Chromium. Um, so actually on the Microsoft Edge side, you know, all of us PMs on the platform are taking, you know, a just a review of like, okay, here's all the features that we have, you know, in our current Edge HTML browser, base browser. Uh, you know, what's kind of the situation over in Chromium land? You know, at the time I was working on accessibility. So, you know, this this looked like, you know, collaborating with Chromium on uh, bringing support for UI automation, that accessibility API over to Chromium, you know, force colors, high, uh, Windows high contrast support, uh, you know, support for other, um, you know, system settings. But you know, over in controls land, uh, you know, the the team was kind of looking at, um, you know, what are our controls look like today? What are our requirements? Um, and what is you know the situation in Chromium? So you know, uh, for the Microsoft Edge browser, we run in a lot of contexts where you know there are touch capabilities. So you know, there's a lot of PCs that have touch screens, for example. And so, like touch uh, capability is really important to our form controls. You know, they have to work uh, well for you know a, a larger pointer, which is your finger. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, we have this you know kind of fluent design system. Uh, you know, so we, we we were just feeling that you know there were ways to kind of uh, push the controls a little bit more to align uh, to you know our aesthetic, our touch requirements, our accessibility requirements, that sort of thing. Um, and it actually ended up like working out perfectly because, you know, we we talked to the folks, you know, over at Google and, and they're like, yeah, like we'd love to kind of, you know, uh, update and refresh the controls and, and make them feel more modern. Um, so it was like really tight collabor collaboration between the companies to land on something that, you know, like works for, you know, our aesthetic, their aesthetic, you know, the aesthetic of other browsers that are also, um, you know, building on top of Chromium. Um, you know, find find something that's a good middle ground there um, and that is extensible. So, yeah, uh, lots of collaboration. It's still ongoing, actually. We, you know, we're, we're actually just doing work on the uh, controls refresh for, you know, Android, for example. Um, so, you know, lots of cool stuff to, to do. So sort of looking uh, further ahead than, than a, a design refresh, were, are there plans for any sort of new native components coming up? Oh, yeah. Uh, funny that you should ask, because we actually just published um, <laughs> an explainer just the other day uh, for a new pop-up element um, that I'm very excited about. Um, you know, so I had kind of mentioned that we, uh, you know, had proposed uh, a couple of different capabilities for customizable controls. 
Um, we sent into an intent to prototype in uh, the Chromium project with a customizable select. Uh, you know, I2Ps, as they call them, are just kind of like, hey, I'm going to, you know, play around the code base, kind of like push on my ideas, see if they're like truly feasible, you know, in implementation. Um, and that kind of happens in parallel to some of the standardization uh, efforts. Um, so we filed an I2P for the customizable select. Um, but part of what we needed, you know, when we're talking about like reaching into the shadow DOM, reaching into the control, we needed something that worked really well for the list box pop-up portion of the, the select control. Um, and we also kind of, you know, uh, talked to some of our, you know, partners in, you know, different design frameworks and, and found that there was like a more generalized need uh, for a pop-up that can be rendered on the top layer uh, consistently. It can break out of, you know, like any kind of bounding boxes. Um, we find that, you know, a lot of the times developers are kind of just like stuffing, you know, they're like, Divi pop-ups in in the you know bottom of the <laughs> of the body because they're they're trying to get around these you know these uh, rendering problems uh, especially because they can't actually directly control all the context in which their components show up because they're a component library so um, you know we kind of uh, took a look at some of these uh, problems and came up with the uh, pop-up proposal and so this is for um, you know any like kind of top layer. Um, UI that, you know, pops up and has uh, light dismiss behaviors. So, you know, the item should close on escape or loss of focus, you know, things like that. Um, and, and it's really designed for like transient UI, right? Um, so you can only have like one pop-up available at a time um, unless they're, you know, like there's an ancestry chain, like you can have pop-ups of pop like inside pop-ups and, and there's, you know, different use cases for that. Um, so, you know, this, this is like a really early proposal. Um, we're really excited about it. Um, but, you know, we'd love feedback from the community. We have it posted on the uh, Microsoft Edge Explainers repo. Uh, we're getting like so many great questions, um, which is really exciting to me um, to just see people, you know, engaged with um, the idea and, and like really pushing on the details and, you know, look, looking at us browser vendors like to get things right. Um, so super excited about that. You know, please check it out and, and let us know what you think. And the stage that's that's at, I've seen the the explainer, which is a, a document which describes it all. Is is that the the state of that? There's no way to. There's no sort of experiments and code to to play around with it. It's more a conceptual. What if we did this sort of stage? Is that right? Um, it is conceptual, but we do also have an, an intent to prototype filed um, on that one as well. And so that is uh, something that a couple of our you know, close collaborators in Google are helping us with. Uh, Mason Freed is kind of, you know, tinkering with the code right now. Uh, so, so that's kind of exciting, you know, just validating our ideas as, as we make a proposal to uh, the broader community. That's really exciting. I have literally just been working on a, uh, a project at work that is a really key pop-up uh, in, in our uh, product interface. And the amount of work that's involved in making sure that uh, it sort of traps focus correctly. And as you were saying, you know, do we then allow somebody to interact with a tab or with arrow keys or, you know, all the all the tiny details of interaction that are involved in that, making sure it appears at the, at the right Z index above all, you know, the things that it should be in front of, you know, what happens if somebody scrolls and then they hit the bottom of the scroll, all these sort of tiny, tiny, subtle bits of the interaction that are, they're not individually they're not difficult to code for but the sum of them is a is a lot of work and the potential for bugs 
to creep in there and um, improve a complete usability problem for some segments of, of your audience. You know, to, to have that such a common uh, thing implemented potentially as part of the web platform, it's going to be a, a, a massive time saver for everyone, isn't it? I, I'm so glad to hear that, that that would be a great time saver for you because, yeah, that's exactly what I'm kind of thinking. You know, it's like, oh, OK, it's like 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there, but like multiply that by like every single developer who has to do that. And then maybe you miss something and you get a very upset, you know, like ticket in your, uh, you know, feedback uh, channel. So. So is the uh, the idea that then um, something like uh, pop-up would be uh, a, a building block for then a, a customized select um, control where it would be the, the options sort of section? Yes, absolutely. That's one of the um, cases where we kind of imagine this showing up. And, you know, um, it's worth mentioning that the pop-up control that we're, you know, kind of putting forward is meant to be like a base that you can build on top of. Uh, because there's many different types of pop-up UI and, you know, your use case might differ a little bit from your neighbor next to you. Um, but it's worth mentioning, we think that there are some classes of, you know, like top layer UI that actually could warrant their own additional, you know, element to pop-up because, you know, a, the paradigms there are a little bit different from the pop-up, you know, that, that we're proposing. Um, and it's like a very well-trodden path. You know, a lot of people are like rebuilding this control. Uh, but we're finding, like, we're trying to like find the right balance here between, you know, like uh, pushing the platform forward and like not wanting to like flood it with new elements either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's an important point, isn't it? Because we sort of want to be confident that the things that are being added to the platform are like an, an evergreen requirement um, and not just a current interaction fad. I mean, if you sort of think back to five years ago where every website had an enormous carousel on it, um, you know, we could have at that point decided, all oh, right, the, the web platform needs a, an enormous carousel <laughs> um, uh, control built into it. We could have built that. And then once something's in the platform, it, it, it stays forever, right? Basically, we don't, we don't take things out. They've got to keep working forever. And if people then aren't using them, um, then it just becomes technical debt. So is there a way we can safeguard against that to make sure that these things are evergreen and not just a fad? You know, there's a lot of different stakeholders in, in um, you know, web standards. And I think a lot of these things like happen naturally. There, there do tend to be pretty strong like headwinds against, you know, adding a new element because, you know, there is this fear of, you know, making the wrong choices and having them baked forever or, you know, capturing something that's, you know, a fleeting, uh, you know, sort of problem. So I, I think like, you know, what's key here is to, you know, look at the problems that have been around for the longest time. Right. Um, and, you know, just listen to the various different stakeholders and, and what they have to say um, about the proposal that you've made. Um, and make sure that, you know, we kind of have like the best insights from everybody in the industry, um, you know, all working together towards the best solution. Um, so in thinking of like new elements and, and you know, sort of what makes a, what would be like put into the platform. So Chrome, I believe, is working on a toggle switch um, element. I believe there's a prototype up for that, but that's um, an element that, they have in the works, which is one of those elements that sort of makes sense. Like, like that is something that's sort of fundamental that gets used across so many websites that just, again, that makes sense that there should be 
uh, a native element for that. that that's exciting to hear as well because the the work in in sort of progressively enhancing a, a checkbox for example to become a toggle switch um is yeah yeah it, it it's something you that's best avoided <laughs> if you can but a toggle switch as a, an interface device makes a lot of sense for a lot of cases of turning something on or off and you know being a, a yes no choice so having that sort of uh, thing as a fundamental part of the web platform would be uh, would be terrific um when we think about all the existing controls that that are out there that have potentially have problems, can they be fixed? Um, I mean, we can't we can't throw them away. Um, well, I guess we could come up with alternatives that new sites could start to use in their place. But can can we rescue the <laughs> the, the current ones? Can is there a way that we can keep backwards compatibility and still move them forward? Yeah. So I, I think it's an interesting question that encompasses like. Uh, <laughs> a, a broad range, right? Um, you know, it kind of depends on like what the issue is. I think, you know, like, look, browser vendors are not perfect either. Like we have bugs, we should fix the bugs. Um, <laughs> so so there's, there's plenty of those kind of items. But, you know, again, um, there are, you know, some things that are very difficult for, um, you know, compat and, and just keeping the web, web working if we just kind of change things, you know, under, underneath people. Uh, so, for example, like, you know, when we were working through uh, the controls refresh in Chromium, you know, some of the designers were like, oh, well, what if we make, you know, these checkboxes and these radios, you know, like this size, like, and we're like, yeah, that's better for usability. But the problem is, it's like, they've been a certain size on the web, like forever for everyone. And um, bad things will happen if you change that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's kind of like... Um, frustrating a little bit sometimes because you can see you can imagine like a better way of doing something um but you you know don't want to break everyone so i, I think it kind of depends you know that's probably the eventual answer to every uh, question in web development mm -hmm. isn't it it, it depends <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think about things like the um the select element with the multiple um attributes so you can ha you know have not select multiple items in the list um I mean, putting to to one side how it looks by default in most browsers, the, the interaction model for that control is from like a different era of computing, isn't it? Um, so much so that I, it's sort of rarely used because a typical web user doesn't know how to interact with it. Can we address things like that? Is that something that can be fixed? That's a hard question. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I believe there's a lot of creative people um, in this space and come up with some really interesting ideas. I have to think a little bit about that one because, you know, I, I agree, even as a user, I find that interaction pattern a little bit challenging. So, yeah, back to the drawing board, I guess. So it depends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm just going to answer every question that you have from now on with that. <laughs> so um, uh, Stephanie mentioned uh, Open UI uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, what is Open UI? So OpenUI is an initiative under the YCG, um, and it is focused on standardizing controls. And so I think um, not, so controls are standardized, but it's only their, their function. So I think that's where the root of a lot of this problem comes from, um, is back like 25 years ago when the initial controls were introduced into the first HTML 2.0 specification. It, 
their form parts, their parts weren't standardized. It was just this form is supposed to complete this function or serve this purpose. And and that's sort of what was standardized. And so that is sort of the problem. Like browsers, different browser engines choose to render their controls or build them differently under the hood. And so we we can't give developers access to the different parts um, sort of in a compatible way at the moment. And so OpenUI at its core is sort of driving that initiative to define so like for a select, like what is a select comprised of? Like what are the different parts um, and drive that work forward? And so uh, Greg Whitworth is again uh, driving a lot of that work, but it's an o- open initiative. So we've had quite a few people um, from the developer community join in on that and are are sort of helping to drive that work with um, um, Greg and the rest of the team. And so... Yeah, at its core, it's just trying to define what that that um, define the different parts of the controls and sort of pave the way to get those into an actual standard specification and eventually into browsers. So this was the this was the sort of structure, the internal structure that Melanie was talking about just before of being able to identify the different slots and then putting names to the the different parts that make up a, a control so that they can be targeted and replaced or styled or whatever. But it's just making sure that that is consistent across different browsers, standardizing it, working out what they all should be. Um, and then hopefully that gets implemented and we can start using controls with a lot more precision than we can currently. Yep, that's exactly right. And does OpenUI uh, attempt to address how um, controls will look? Uh, no, that's kind of you know outside of the purview of the you know OpenUI um, <clears throat> kind of effort. So um, you know we, we're kind of looking at uh, you know if we have an MVC model of controls, kind of looking at the the um, the M and the C, <laughs> I suppose you can say. Yeah, just to add to that, too, sort of standardizing the way they look. I like Melanie said, yeah, that's not really you when you have different companies like microsoft and and or the different browsers firefox and and chrome and and microsoft they are they are different companies with different design languages as well so even like our default styles i think are going to be reflective of of the company um or the browser so I think that's ideal from um, a sort of uh, a development point of view, because if the browser vendors have to implement this this new spec, it's been you know it's been agreed on. They're going to implement it, and the first thing they go on want to do is to use that to style the control themselves to match the language of the browser, and any um, inflexibility or, or potential problems that might appear down the road for end users are going to appear for the the browser developers as they're. Uh, implementing that themselves so it's a, a good initial stress test you know can can this select box be made to look like it should in edge made like it should in 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 chrome and so on yeah i also feel like um trying to get all the different browser engines to agree on a style or even just like standards group on what this thing should look like would be a i think that conversation would go on forever quite frankly <laughs> And and could potentially stifle innovation as well. I yeah. think it is it's it's 
but it's positive that um, uh, different competing products um, can compete on the user experience level by bringing their their own in innovation. And hopefully, what these specifications will enable us to do is to do that in a in a way that isn't going to impact um, uh, an end user who well, an end web developer who wants to then restyle those controls themselves. It gives everybody the flexibility that they need. Right. Yeah. That's. It's even just a challenge. Like even as we're talking about standardizing, you know, the internals of a control, um, you have to do it in such a way that it could be implemented in, in a different fashion, or you know, um, there's a little bit of room for variety or, as you said, innovation. So that that is a a, a challenging requirement of, of this work stream. <laughs> so what's the process of uh, sort of between getting these these early ideas? Um, things that the open UI project might write up how do they how do we get those to start to become part of a, a future web specification and then ultimately in you know, implemented in browsers are we looking at decades of work here or I mean it's not it's not going to be a month is it <laughs> I wish <laughs> I'm just kidding actually you know it's, it's so funny I was thinking about this the other day it's like as a web developer your time scale is like so much shorter than web standards it's like I, I would love to have this you know, for this thing that I'm trying to, to push out like next month or whatever. Uh, but you actually probably should want, you know, us to take a while because that means that we'll um, be very considered in the decisions that, you know, the uh, web standards industry makes. So, yeah, I, th I think this is going to be, we're looking at a couple of years at least to, to fully kind of go through all the controls. Um, as far as process goes, that's sort of a little bit of a moving target. Um, the folks who are involved in OpenUI, um, you know, some of the chairs and, and, and a couple other folks are actually working on a process document for like how this sort of works. Um, so, but I think generally speaking, um, you can kind of think as OpenUI as like sort of like connective tissue that, you know, tells like the full story between efforts that might land, you know, in um, what we G, you know, so like the, the living document for HTML. Um, or, you know, the CSS working group over, over at the W3C, uh, the open UI group can kind of like tell the full story in between these desperate pieces um, and then can also provide um, kind of like a maturation ground, you know. Um, so when you're trying to get, you know, work into the HTML spec, you know, uh, that um, group kind of goes off of, you know, PRs uh, rather than like kind of sitting in a room and like chatting about it. Um, and so the expectation is like the, the PR should be fairly mature um, when you make it against that that spec. So, you know, perhaps OpenUI can be the place where um, you gain that maturity in the idea. Yeah, the ideas can be thrashed out before they're then taken on to the next level as being proposed to the actual uh, uh, specification. Yeah, absolutely. So how can people get involved in this process uh, to offer feedback? I mean, for example, I know personally I've done a lot of content management system um, development work um, and that they tend to be very form heavy um, and so my individual perspective might be different from somebody who builds online games um, and the web has to work for all those use cases so I guess it, it's really important to get lots of points of view in, into the process how how would people get involved with that there's a couple different ways so you can go um, well you can either get involved in open UI again that that group is uh, if you go to open dash ui.org, I believe. Um, you can find out how to get involved in that and and sort of actually like be involved in the process of of 
to fighting control structures and, and doing helping us do research. Um, and Or you could provide feedback on the explainers. So there's the customizing controls UI explainer on GitHub under the Microsoft Edge explainers repo. And then also um, the pop-up explainer that Melanie mentioned. Um, you can open issues or you can just tweet um, at me or Melanie and and there's some good co- I've seen some good conversations with the pop-up explainer I think on Melanie's Twitter feed so so get, getting involved in the web platform could be as simple as sending a tweet yes yeah. <laughs> we're all human beings over here so. <laughs> what a time to be alive <laughs> so I've been learning about the future of HTML controls today uh, what have you both been learning about lately well I've so I'm writing a new talk um for dual screen devices and and talking about design considerations. And I tend to like to go into the history of, of like I I've done with HTML controls. I like to dive into the history and see where, where we've come from. And, and so I've been looking at foldable devices and, and how the, like the, there were prototypes in like 2008 of like actual, like foldable devices. And so I've been, um, diving into that and learning about that for my next talk. I feel like I have like, you know, too many plates spinning at all times as far as like learning new things. Um, but, you know, in addition to this controls work, I'm also focused um, on the privacy space and the web platform. Um, so, so very different space, actually, um, which is very interesting. Um, but, you know, learning a lot right now about um, identity and federated auth use cases um, as that kind of relates to privacy. Um, so that's been super interesting, you know, collaborating with folks who have like a lot of like depth of expertise there, um, you know, and outside of like the web platform, like, I don't know, I'm always doing different stuff. Like you mentioned uh uh, doing 3D art. So I'm taking uh, Devin Coe's uh, 3D for designers, you know, course. Um, that's been fun. Um, learning a little bit of Japanese. Uh, so so working through my Wani Kani, uh, you know, kanji lessons. So, <laughs> you know, uh, doing fiber arts. And then I was like, what if I learn Python? I'm like, no, no, no. I can't, I can't add more things to this list. <laughs> yep. Rain it in, rain it in. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. If you, dear listener, would like to hear more from our guests, you can find Stephanie on Twitter, where she's at Otter with an A, and her personal site is stephaniestymac.com. Melanie can be found on Twitter, where she's at said, and her website is melanie-richards.com. And the open UI, of course, is open-ui.org. Thank you both for joining me today. Do you have any parting words? I am just... I have to say I'm excited about the controls work that Melanie is leading and there's just some good stuff coming. So I, I hope developers get involved and are as excited as we are. Major plus one to that. Thanks so much for having us on today. This is Smashing. And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you liked it, please share it with your friends. Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at smashingmag. Smashing Magazine on Facebook or in the supermarket by the cat food. <laughs>